RTL Original Podcast. Welcome to another episode of DNA, the Luxembourg Crime Podcast. This is a special one, as I'm proud to welcome one of RTL's top journalists to the studio. Dan Virot is our guest today, and in his multi-decade career as a reporter and an investigative journalist, Dan has spent a considerable amount of his time getting into the nitty-gritty details of crime cases that unfolded here in the Grand Duchy. And together with Guy Weber, he launched the original DNA series that this podcast is based on. And the story of the Wald Belleger Band was one of the big episodes. And what I'm particularly excited about is that Dan knows a lot of the backstories to this case. The things that happened behind the scenes, the anecdotes that we couldn't really cover in our last episode, where we, we summarized the Wald Belleger Band case. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I strongly urge you to maybe get back to that and listen to it first, as today's discussion will really be based on that. Dan, welcome. Thank you, Josh. Now, we have a lot of things to discuss about this crime case, and I look forward to asking you the questions about, you know, who these criminals were, what strategies mm -hmm. they had in place during their robberies and their heists, the methods they used to distract the police, mm -hmm. because there were many. Um, but let's maybe first talk about the case itself, maybe just briefly summarize mm -hmm. it for our listeners who may not have heard the last episode where we talked about the case in more detail. So, just briefly, a summary. The Waldbelger Band, composed of, at first, three men, Jos Bernardi, Guy Hertert and Nico Reisdorf, and later included a fourth member, Carlo Fett. The gang was active between January of 1983 and October of 1985, and in that period they robbed over 22 petrol stations, banks and jewellery stores across the Grand Duchy. But they were not only robbers and thieves, they were also cold-blooded killers. Five accomplices of the gang were shot and burnt by the four main members on a farm in the eastern village of Waldbillisch. This is also the village where the gang got its name from. Their two-and-a-half-year stint came to a sudden end during an attempted heist at the Central Bank of Luxembourg, on Boulevard Royal in Luxembourg City, on the 30th of October 1985. And after a wild chase, they were arrested. Now, the story actually continues, because after imprisonment, Carlo Fett later escaped from Schwarzig mm. Prison. That's an incredible story by itself. But we will cover that uh, later in, in the episode. So, Dan... Um, let us get back to the time when all these incidents took place. Let me ask you, do you remember where you were at the time when all of this happened? Um, yeah, I remember the, the time quite well, especially the day of the bill attack in the city center. It, that, it was, you said it just, it was late October 1985. I was in my teens, I was 16. And for sure, before I heard also about all the other bank robberies which happened in the past months, even uh, the past years before. But obviously, I never could imagine a connection with a group of Luxembourgish people who did all these attacks. 
But on the day of the bill attack, the day when the, that was the same day where Patrick Conradi was uh, was killed in front of the bank, I found myself not far away from the bank in town uh, center in the park. I was probably smoking cigarettes in hidden places, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember especially all the 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 the. the um, the ringing of the police cars all the afternoon there was were so many police cars were just driving in all the directions was really crazy and then uh, for sure we were f uh, following the news uh, all the days afterwards and we followed this story in the newspaper on radio um, and we were looking also highlight kugelate that is the sunday program i don't know you know highlight i've never heard of that no <laughs> that's the really the, the first uh, radio rtl radio uh, tv program uh, of the news it came only on Sundays mm -hmm. and everybody was in front of the TV just to know what was happening, what happened these days. So that was really a very big moment <laughs> for, for a lot of people in Luxembourg. And um, I think you must know that, you know, the news in, at this time, it was not so quick at, at, as it is today that, that we were waiting three days, I think, before we knew that the, 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 the bands, the, the members of the band, of the Valbilic band, band or or gang or gang yeah <laughs> they, exactly they have been uh, they have been arrested and in between these days waiting for information there, there was a really big feeling a general feeling of fear insecurity and that in the whole population mm. um and then two weeks later it was this big day of the excavations and the investigation at the valbelic farm uh, which belonged to the fat family and the investigators there found human bones uh, which have been buried close to the farm. They also found boxes filled with weapons and they had, had been uh, hidden in the nearby forest. And in the barn behind the house, the police discovered a bathtub in which the Valbilic band gang, they were trying to dissolve the dead bodies of their colleagues, accomplices, with kind of acid. And that's uh, what we heard in, at the news at this time. So uh, you can imagine, Josh, that these images that were told on the radio, they were etched forever in my head. And I think not only mine, but also uh, in the head of everybody, Luxembourgish uh, residents. Everybody was talking about the gang of criminals dissolving human bodies in acid-filled bathtubs. That was really, uh, really horror, horror story. Was, was was this a story you think that was um, maybe also exaggerated a little bit through media, or was it people really thought it was this bad? At this, this time, scary. Yeah, at this time we thought it was really that we, we believed everything what the news was saying. So that was something completely uh, normal. We believed that. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. So let me touch upon a few things that you mentioned. So there was a story that the bodies of the five murdered people, their accomplices, had been dissolved in acid. W was that really the truth? Uh, I we I saw it as I just said. I saw the during years and years that uh, this is the truth. But um, in fact, when I did the interview with the the gang members uh, in 2013, they gave me their version of this acid story, which uh, all Luxembourg believed until this time. And uh, they yeah, the, the story is completely different. Uh, what they told me. Um, they had to kill these people. They said because they had no other choice. Then. The, they had to kill these five pe people because they were scared that these people could report their names to the police and so they decided to kill them. That was their explanation. 
And uh, the last guy, which has been executed short, that was shortly before the bill attack. They they had to they deposit this body in the bathroom, which has been in, in the barn in Valbilic, and they were just wondering how to get rid of it. So at this main this moment, uh, that's what they said in the interview. They saw this plastic bottle on a shelf that contained a, a, a kind of acid. I think it was um, white spirit or acetone, something not very quite harmful, I would say. And um, that, yeah, they were laughing about it. They just put this bottle, they took this bottle and uh, they, uh, they, they, they emptied the rest of the liquid on the corpse lying in the tub. So they never really believed themselves that the body was going to dissolve, you know. And um, that's how this myth uh, of the gang dissolving bodies in bath tubs was born. And you can imagine that the press, the news, uh, papers and everybody at this time was really jumping on these details and uh, certainly they were upgrading these informations as well. Do you m- know why these five people were killed? I mean, they were worried that they were spreading the word of the gang or not yeah. keeping secrets yeah they, you, you must know they have been four members main members of the of the gang but they had quite a lot of people around them who, which were, were small robbers as well freelancers a <laughs> <laughs> kind of freelancers so sometimes they they were not always they them four who did all the robberies sometimes it was two of them with another one and uh, after three of them with uh, two other ones so they they mixed it, uh, a little bit the the composition of the, the, the people. And at one moment it was, the, the, they were feeling that it will be over very soon with the gang because too many people knew about uh, who is the, 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 the heads of this gang. And uh, especially these five uh, persons have been killed because they knew too much. Mm. Was, was there one leader of the Waldbilliger band? That's an interesting question because we were asking them also who was the leader. And uh, I think there was not really a leader. I think the most intelligent of them was uh, Bernardi, for sure. He was also the most, uh, the, the smartest and the, the quietest of all of them. And uh, every t- lots of people said that there were two psychopaths. You have this, um, um, you have the Hertert and the Fed, probably they were completely psychopaths and they were dangerous and they just wanted to be part of it, I think. But I think a real le- band uh, leader, there was, there was none. Mm. Maybe interesting to talk as well about the state of the country at the time, because this occurred in parallel to the Bommelaire affair. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. And Luxembourg was in a very unstable situation in mm. terms of internal security. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that. I, I think you can really not uh, avoid placing the Valbilic uh, case in its historical context. Because uh, it happened in the beginning of the 80s, uh, it started 83 and finished in uh, 85. At this time, Luxembourg, first of all, at this time, Luxembourg had two police forces. That was one very major important thing. On one side, you have the police, the Police Nationale du Luxembourg. On the other side, you had at this time the Gendarmerie as well. And uh, at the beginning of the 80s, both corps did not uh, get along well. They they really were fighting or they did not really work hand in hand. So it was opposite. So that was a big part, a very important part. You have also at the same period, it was, I think, in uh, 85, the Pope came to Luxembourg. That was Johannes Paul II. He came to visit Luxembourg and, uh, yeah, his safety had to be ensured. And uh, at this time, the police forces had no experience in such large uh, organizations. I think they, they have been completely overwhelmed. 
and uh, you said it just the same period you had also the bombelier yeah, the bombings which uh, made terror made terror in luxembourg and then you had these uh, guys the valpelli gang which acted at the same period and i think they took advantage of this unstable situation of the country they took advantage of the fact that the police and gendarmerie were completely overwhelmed by the events and uh, they also were completely understaffed and um, they knew that very well the gang of uh, valbilik and um, There's another thing, you know, the equipment of the police and uh, such as weapons, vehicles, they they were not corresponding anymore at uh, to time. Everything was kind of old and dusty. So, And in opposite, the Valpilic perpetrators, on the other hand, had more modern, more powerful weapons. Uh, when they went to rob a bank, they managed to steal powerful cars. So they, they were always a step ahead of the Luxembourg police forces, you know. And with all these advantages, it It was for them quite easy to make all these attacks, I think. I remember when Jos Bernardi, he told us in the interview, for him attacking a bank that was like shopping in the cactus, he said, <laughs> shopping in the supermarket. He was not nervous at all. That was something completely normal for him. So It's, it's incredible <laughs> yeah. to hear. I mean, I think also for police forces, it cannot be easy and it, it cannot help in boosting their morale to find out that the, the robbers they are chasing mm. have better gear and better equipment than the police force. Yeah, I but it's, it's always like, you have always these mouse and cat play when mm. the ones are, are, are in front, the other are trying to, to trespass, and it's always this mouse and cat uh, game. So, mm. so who, who is this gang? Who were, the, who were the members of the gang? You spoke to, you spoke to them for your interviews. Yeah. I spoke to three of them because Fat already was dead at this time when right. I made the interviews. Um, and I think first that they, they got friends. Three of them, they, uh, they grew up in the same orphanage in Limpertsbeck. That was an orphanage uh, holded by uh, nuns. And during the interviews with the guys, they told me that the nuns' uh, education was really strict and severe, that they suffered physical punishments. That's their version, so what they said. And then, then you had the fourth guy, that was Jos Bernardi. He grew up in the north of the country, I think it was Beeson, if I remember well. Um, when, when we asked him in the interview, Bernard, Mr. Bernardi, why did you become criminal? He just told us that living in the north of the country, that was completely boring. Nothing was happening, that was boring. So, And uh, so they spent time to doing small break-ins in weekend houses or some small places. They stole little things at the beginning and then they grew more and more ambitious. <laughs> so it was the only occupation they had. They didn't have anything else. And at the beginning of their criminal career, they uh, regularly ended up in jail. They, they have been in jail many, many times, only for one month, two months, so for short times. And um, that's also in prison that they really met, I think. And it was also there where they learned the future job because they had access to, uh, to other criminals. They gave them good advices, good, good, good school, mm. I would say. Mm. And um, they also had access, what they said, to the prison's library so they could read books. And he, they told us that they read books about the FBI, CIA, novels about robbers. And they uh, learned quite a lot of uh, things in prison, so they refined their techniques. They, yeah, they learned all the tricks in prison. <laughs> why, does, why does a prison library have books about the FBI, yeah, the CIA and question. robbers? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's what we were thinking about as well. 
Um, and do you think this is where they got their first arms? Yeah, that's a crazy story they told us as well. That, is, um, that was one day when they have been uh, in, in jail. Uh, there, there was a prison guard who told them, oh yeah, me too, I like guns, I have many of them and I keep them in the garage at home. Obviously, when they went out of prison again, they were free. The first objective was the guardian's garage and they stole uh, the rep weapons for sure. And that was uh, where they get their first uh, Kalashnikovs. Smart guards. Mm, yeah. They talk a lot. Yeah, too much. <laughs> so how did you go on about investigating this case? And what were some of the things that you, you learned during your, your studies, your investigation? Yeah, the, the, the cases of DNA, the, the, which I did with Guy Weber together, um, he, he's actually the chief of information of RTL Luxembourg. We always started our stories, which always have been real stories, from the point of view of the victims. So that is very important. When uh, we have, we always started also with the trials, and uh, we asked access to get the access to all the reports, documents, and, and 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 so on. And then in the second phase, we also asked all the lawyers, investigators, and everybody around the case. So um, what was really special in this affair. Um, we have been far in our researches because we already had many, many testimonies about from many people. I think we had something about 20 interview partners. Mm. And then this was the first time we had the opportunity to analyze the point of view of the perpetrators, to be able to ask them self the questions to have their the point of view of them so and that's quite interesting we never had the perpetrators or the murderers before that was the first time i made interviews with these kind of people mm. and um Yeah, and I made the interviews with them, which were quite long. I think we made four hours with each of, the, each of them, and there's a lot of backstories in there. You, of course, put them in a spotlight in the interviews. That's true, yeah. Did you get a lot of criticism for that? Or was uh, that something on your mind? Before? Yeah, at the beginning it was quite strange because people told us, why are you giving a, a platform to these guys? They are murderers, and they are, they are right. But in another way, I'm a journalist, so I have to see both, both uh, opinions. I have to ask them and the other ones, and that's my job to have all the point of views and then to tell all the point of views, not only the one from the victims. So it was quite interesting to have also another point of view. And what were some of the big surprises that you came across <laughs> during oh, the investigation? The surprises, there were many. I, I remember that was um, the interview with the mother of Carlo Fett. That was really, for me, the, the, the most emotional moment in my career, in my 16-year career of journalist. So um, she already lost two of her children in completely dramatic circumstances. And she, she was ready to testify on camera about the murderer's son, about her son, Carlo Fett. And that was so strong. You could really read in the eyes of this lady all the pain and all the suffering she lived in her life. And this, well, yeah, this interview has been completely amazing, the most emotional and powerful I have done in my, in my career. So it will really remain etched in my memory forever. So. And may I ask you how you met her? How did you find her? Oh, that is a crazy story. Uh, we, finding her was not so complicated, but... Uh, We didn't ask her to get this interview. I don't know if I can really tell that. We didn't ask her. We just knocked on her door and she opened. She was alone. And we were asking on the door, Are you, do you have five minutes to give us some explanations? And she, we went in, the, in, the, in her house and the camera was rolling. So she explained everything. She knew that the camera was rolling, but she was completely uh, overpassed by, the, by this moment. Mm. And I, I remember we have been the cameraman, Guy and myself in the car after we couldn't speak a word during an hour. So we have been completely uh, stuck. So it was 
very bizarre, very interesting moment. Mm. And then there was the story of Carlo Fett um, in also in a in private environment he was quite uh was that the one with the tv with the, the western he was looking exactly yeah, yeah. he was shooting that around or he had this completely completely crazy that was the investigator the police uh, told me this story and it, it, it is um but it was also written in the in the um in all the papers in the interrogations of the family of fat they they told about this story the story is it was one day at the farm in valbilic and carlo and his family where they lived, they all gathered uh, in the living room watching a Western movie. Uh, by the time the final shooting began, Carlo, he was crazy. He was so involved. He got, he, he really got up from his seat, pulled his pistol out of his pocket, and then he was starting firing shots uh, in the air that ended in the living room sailing. He was completely crazy, just bang, 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 and all in everywhere. So the the family they completely panicked and they hide it under the, the, the living room table and they were completely scared and this is really a part where I feel that this is the character of Carlo Fett he's so in his uh, he's living in bandits world imaginary bandits world he's all he was always kind of like a, like a children living in films so he's these kind of guys and then there was this story that they had <laughs> some strange <laughs> strategies to rob banks apparently with bicycles that was their <laughs> escape escape mode of transportation is that really true do you do you believe that <laughs> i mean uh, no but it's smart you wouldn't expect it yeah. from a from a law enforcement mm, you know that's correct yeah they 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 told this the story to the police and the police all the police and the judges they all believe this story they always, in all the papers, it's written that they made a bank attack and were fleeing with bicycles. Mm. And then I asked them in the interview, is that true? And unfortunately, they were just lost. Are you crazy? Do you think we are so crazy that we are making bank robberies to escape with bicycles? Absolutely not. They did uh, just this version. They said it just because uh, they wanted to protect the driver who was waiting in front of the bank. So it was just the story. And they were themselves very surprised that uh, everybody believed this story. So it's crazy. But they had this ability to fool the police, to fool their mm. interrogators. And this also brings me on to my next question, because... You, you, we were talking off air about the little tricks that they had mm. uh, to yeah, to outsmart the police. What what were some of these? They they were actually very very smart. They, they have been very good organized. Um, they had also good time in prison to train well. And during with the, the books, <laughs> with the books of the FBI, and during their attacks on the banks, they always planned everything, you know, all details, especially always the route uh, for escaping. That's always the most important. They said. So during the, the escape, they changed change cars several times just to escape the police. And they used many, many tricks. So, for example, one trick is they would put on shoes that were, were not the right size for them. So if uh, somebody, they wore size 44, if they had, had 42. And so when they left traces, the police looked for people with size 44. <laughs> so they were trying always to give uh, wrong, wrong pistes. So... They, uh, they also left behind other clues uh, to in order to disrupt the investigations. For example, in the cars abandoned uh, after the attack, they took care to leave behind some traces. For uh, example, Belgian uh, cigarette butts or the, I remember also they had Dutch beer cans. And uh, their goal was uh, simply to confuse investigators and to cover up the evidence. So they put a lot of false uh, mm -hmm. 
pissed off, you call that? Yeah, hotels, wrong yeah, tracks, wrong to tracks, send them exactly, on the wrong yes. tracks. Yeah, mm. exactly. They were quite smart, yeah, they, they, they did it well. Yeah. Um, we we can talk about the big robbery, maybe. I mean, yeah. it was it was of course we covered it in the first episode. Yeah, that this is really a huge story because it was so long. There's so many details. There mm. were shootings all around the whole country at police, mm. but it's really very very long long to explain. But that was a completely crazy story because the mm. police of the whole country was trying to follow them, mm. and th that is uh, an amazing story. But that's better to look at the real DNA exactly. because you have all the details in there. Yes. And you're speaking to some, I remember you were speaking to one man who was part of the chase of the criminals. He was, I think he was a police officer yeah, and he was yeah, we, chasing the criminals to Spindle Airport. We also uh, spoke to, uh, to lots of victims because mm -hmm. there was a woman in Woodford and they wanted to come in their house and she was opening, then closing the door and they just shot with the Kalashnikov through the door mm -hmm. uh, and in the body of the woman. She mm -hmm. was not dead by, by chains, but you have, it's uh, such a crazy story, amazing. Yeah. Maybe interesting to just quickly touch upon what you also talked about in your introduction was um, the, the, the police officer which was shot, Patrick Conradi. Mm -hmm. Was he the first police officer to have yes. died in... Yes, a, in he, that's the, per the first one. Actually, we have uh, three or four until now, until mm -hmm. 2020. I made a report about that. But he was really the first police officer dead in service. So, um, mm -hmm. And that was crazy. That was in front of the bank. And uh, Probably it was Carlo Fett that was nev never said who shot uh, the policeman, but in my mind it was Carlo Fett. And that was really, because he was crazy, he was there and was again, like in the films, just shooting all around everywhere. And it was a huge, huge shooting which they had. And uh, yeah, Patrice Conrad, the policeman, got, a, got some bullets in, in his body and mm. died on place. Mm. But so this was not the end of the story of the Waldwilliger band, band. Yeah, that's that's right. So they have been taken uh, the same day as the Bill uh, attack. And then you have all the yeah, investigations and everything. And then you had the trials. The first trial was in May 1989, uh, where all four have been judged for, in first instance, life imprisonment, imprisonment for all of them, for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> There was no other choice. Mm -hmm. uh. What does life imprisonment mean? Does that mean no possibility of parole? Or? No, no, normally it's life imprisonment uh, is normally you, you can't... You, you think that's normally 30 years in Luxembourg, but you can ask after 15 years, you can ask the first uh, liberation or conditional, mm. uh, can I be free because I was quite in prison. After 15 years, you can start your first uh, question. That's mm. also crazy, this story, because the two of them, so Carlo Fett died in prison, mm -hmm. uh, the other two did 26 years of prison. That was um, um, Hertert and also um, Reisdorf. But uh, Bernardi, he, he left prison after 16 years, what is really crazy, because that means also he is the most uh, smart, the, the most intelligent of the band, and he was probably very quiet in prison as well. Or do you think he, he, he said something no, to no, get him out? No, not okay. <laughs> There was something talking in prison and uh, telling everything, and uh, that was Hertert. Mm. And there was a big, big fight in prison as well. They couldn't put him on the same floor because... Um, uh, Hertert was apparently, that's what was written in the newspaper, he was talking about all details of all the attacks and mm -hmm. all the other didn't speak. Mm. Right. So, appeal? Was there an appeal? No, there was no appeal because the, the, we, we talked to the judge uh, who was the judge uh, um, and he, he said uh, they, they already were aware of their guilt and uh, that they knew very well what they did. So, uh, there, there was, no, there was no, uh, no appeal. They accepted their sentence. And so Carlo Fett, you said he unfortunately died in prison, but mm. 
there was another incident where he escaped from prison. Yeah, that's true. That was, I think, uh, it was May 95. Yeah, he, he escaped from prison. That was also a crazy story. Together with another guy, which is called uh, Raymond Corbin. You must know, Carlo Fett was always, he. that was his dream. He wanted to be enemy, public enemy of Luxembourg number one. And he was called like this, but that was his dream. And he, he had this, he reached in his career. Mm. And he went away with Raymond Corbin. He was called the king of escape because I think he escaped 10 times from prison. Or from from Shrasik prison? From Shrasik, yeah, many, many times. That was his objective. He was not a, a bad guy, but he just uh, was a pro he provocating that just always escaping from prison and there at this time in 95 they escaped both of them together and uh, they do you know how they did that that's really crazy story they they they, they made um, a kind of um, ladder and uh, it was led over eight meters if i remember well and they made it with uh, with mops you know these mops for cleaning the the, the, the floors. cleaning the floor yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and they put the uh, they stole many of them and then they made a ladder with these mops i i can show you some pictures of them so you <laughs> saw the ladder i saw the ladder yes yes it was eight years ago it it is stocked it was at this time it was stocked in the convictions room do you know that it's the place where all the crime evidences they are hold and mm -hmm. yeah the ladder mm -hmm. is completely crazy many mm -hmm. mops one on the other so but these this evidence um is is kept for a long time because for example the yeah. ladder it yeah. of course has a symbolic meaning but mm. Will it ever be destroyed, no. or will it ever always be there? No, no. That it uh, everything is dis destroyed on the in this evidence room. Everything is kept until the last sentence is told. And when the the trials are over, the last sentence normally every everything is destroyed. Hmm. I think the letter they kept it a bit a bit more longer because it's just a, a part of the history of Luxembourg. So. Right. How is it possible for someone to escape? Did you say 10 times from Shrasik? Yeah, but Kobe, he's a very interesting person. I had him on the phone once and uh, he, he was, he never killed somebody, but he was the guy who has done the longest prison years in Luxembourg. I think he was 32 years in prison just for making small attacks on banks. Uh, from he put some little bombs in front of bank doors. He was really a provocator and I think that was a little, little bit, uh, I don't know the word in English, reglement counts of the state because he flee, he got more years, he flee again, he got more years and he's a very interesting guy but uh, I could never had, I could never have I never had an interview with him, mm -hmm. so but mm -hmm. that was that would be very interesting. Is he still alive today? He's still alive. Yeah, yeah he must be uh, in the seventy-five years old. Not well. escaping from Shrasig anymore. <laughs> no, he's free. <laughs> yeah. So what happened when they when they escaped? Uh, did it last long? That yeah, not so long. I think uh, first of all they separate because they, I think they have not been a good in a good mood. But they, they have not been friends. Probably Carlo Fett knew that he's going to. He had the plan. The other had the plan to escape. He said, "Take me with you, or I will tell." everything that is in my mind that's um, not sure that it's uh, true but i i think that this could be like this yeah. and uh, the kind of fats one did uh, did not even last two weeks um yeah two weeks 10 days 11 days and uh, he got caught uh, in, in in fact because there was a he was on in his car and there was a, they were recognized in police and there was a chase and he was caught on the motorway between Arlon and Luxembourg you know this parking place uh, the big one uh, the big one where you have this memorial just mm -hmm. uh, before the with the, the gas station no not the one with the gas station they were in Belgium still uh, right before yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, there he has been recognized he was trying to hide it police saw him there was also uh, they they were following police was following him 
and that there also happened a very yeah a, a quite strange he once more um injured seriously another Luxembourg policeman at this place at this moment mm. with a knife he put it in the stomach of the policeman he stabbed yeah, the policeman I, no he, he he's not dead but he mm. he stabbed the policeman yeah injured really yeah, yeah quite mm. heavily i spoke to him and he, he showed me still the uh how the Wow, the uh, wounds, yeah. It, uh, yeah, and you can the see scarves, still, the yeah. scarves, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can see, see still. And yeah, then he was arrested by the police at this place. And what, what was really crazy, I, I, when I did the DNA case, uh, somebody told me that at this place there was a journalist, a radio journalist from RTL, made, making an interview the same day where he has been uh, arrested uh, again. He, he gave an interview uh, to a radio, and it's uh, completely crazy. And I, I found this interview. So We're lucky we're, we're going yeah. to listen to it, and I will translate the, the Luxembourg segment after. Bon, die ist froh, dass sie stehen. Wie wird sie da auf Schrassen fortgelaufen? Ja, wir sind fortgelaufen, weil die Lebenslänge keine Chance zu kriegen. Aber, weil sie können nicht mit mir geschafft haben, dass sie so lange herauskommen. Also, weil die auf 40 Grad war, von Wald Billig. Und ich habe mich gebessert, ich hatte einen Lehrer angefangen als Buchbinder. Und äh, da hatte ich viele so drei Jahre raus an die Schule zu gehen. Und das war uns auch nicht. Und äh, da war auch ein Artikel für uns, wir meinen, am letzten Mal von der Wald Billig Affäre an der Zeitung. Und äh, du hast die Chance, du hast gesehen, dass ich nie mehr eine Chance kriege, heraus. Und dann sind wir fortgelaufen, ohne Gewalt, ohne alles. Und äh, ich noch habe noch keine Gewalt gemacht, ich habe nicht mehr eine Versicht zu überleben. Ich habe keine Menschen überfallen, nicht. Was hast du dann in den Sängen, die ich gemacht habe, wie wieder du bist? Ich war, ungefähr, ich war in Frankreich, ich war in Deutschland, ich war in der Belgien, ich war bis in Tolle an der Grenze. Und äh, ich bin ungefähr über 4000 Kilometer gefahren in den Sängen, die ich mit dem Auto Ich habe alle daran ein Auto geklaut. Ich habe noch nie gesehen, nie Gewalt gefunden, nicht. Hat er dann damit gerechnet, dass er auf eine Gift gepetzt geht? Nein, ich habe nicht mit damit gerechnet. Ich wollte dann nach Deutschland kommen und dann hat Jana probiert gekriegt und dann wäre ich da normal schlafen gegangen, wie alle Bücher. Und der hat doch vieles ganz an der Legalität dann? Da so ja, ich wusste, dass ich in einem falschen Nummer gelebt hätte, weil ich dann schlafen gegangen wäre. Weil ich keine Chance mehr gekriegt hätte, wäre raus. Und Remo Korba, den, den hat doch nicht mehr eine Chance gekriegt, wäre raus. Und am Moment hat er alles gemacht, hier wenn kein Gewalt und dann nicht auch nicht. Da den ich verloren mit dem Polizisten, ich habe ein bisschen mein Messer gepickt, wenn sie verletzen, für Furcht zu kommen. Aber das, das war nicht schlimm. Mhm. Der Remo Korba hat schon sechs Mal ausgebrochen. Ein Spezialist, der so sagt, er hat ohne Gewalt gemacht, muss man nicht Futter gemacht. Kein Fenster nicht. Und, äh, und ich konnte auch gut dabei nicht verlieren, weil ich hatte ein paar Tausend Franken aus dem Prisen und Mattgehol. Und da habe ich mein Lebensmittel gehabt und alles, was ich gebraucht habe. Du den Arm an den Beinen am Gips festgebracht, ich habe den Faust gebracht, ich habe den Stich um den Kopf, ich habe den alles für alles Blut an. Weil das mit dem Polizisten geschieht, weil sie mich nicht mit Händen gepackt haben. Was ich auch verstehe, also. Das war gut, dass ich so billig weggekommen bin. So here's a, here's a brief translation of what Fett said. The reporter asked why they escaped prison. He said, well, we escaped because those with lifelong sentences have no more opportunities here. They didn't work together with me and tried to get me out. I really became a better person. I started an apprenticeship as a bookbinder. But then two months ago, I saw an article in the Luxemburger Wort about the Wald Belliger Band, and I realized there is no way out. So we, we escaped without violence, without anything, and out here I didn't commit any violence. I just tried to survive. I didn't rob anyone, he says. Yeah, it's crazy. And then the reporter asked what he did in the uh, roughly 10 days mm -hmm. that he was out. 
And Fett replied, I was in France, I was in Germany, I was in Belgium, I was close to the Dutch border, I drove over 4,000 kilometers in my car in those 10 days, I stole a new car each day, <laughs> that's unbelievable, yeah. I was never stopped, I never used violence. He really emphasizes this mm. aspect, eh, that yeah, he crazy, never yeah. wants to yeah, hurt yeah. anyone. I also did not expect to be caught. I wanted to leave abroad and get new papers and get a normal job like every mm -hmm. citizen. I would have lived under a false name and gotten a job. With regards to the police officer, I only stabbed him a little <laughs> to get away. Yeah. That's his quote. A little, is, yeah. But that wasn't much. Corbin is an expert in breaking out and we didn't damage anything inside. No windows, nothing. And I had a few thousand francs with me that I brought with me from inside the prison. I broke my foot have wounds on my head and have a lot of blue marks. After what happened with the police officer, they no longer arrested me with handcuffs, which I understand. I am lucky that it ended this way. Yes. End of Fett's quote. Mm. I think in my mind, Fett always was children. He never went at Jules. And that's mm -hmm. also his voice was a little bit less his mind for me in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But he always wanted a part of the, the hardcore gang and so, but he always uh, was stayed a children in my mind. Mm -hmm. Was he a bit of an outsider of the gang, you think? No, but he was not so loved. He was quite stupid, as, as they said, the other gang member. He was not so professional as the other. And he was always, yeah, take me with you. Take me with you he was always asking and if you don't take me me with you uh, i will go to the police that's what he said they also thought once to kill carlo fett wow. that's what they said wow. so that would have been the sixth body yeah. yeah he only joined with the the b the bill attack right that was his first think, real yeah, mission that's the, we stood together with the this uh, guys that was the first mission because the They, they already knew before, but he never did. A, they never wanted to take him with him to mm. bank where he, he was too crazy, mm. and that's what happened to the bill at this time because they took him. That went uh, wrong, mm. and he was starting probably to shoot to around him because he was still in his western. So. Does the gang accuse Fett of having ruined the robbery? Yes, yeah, they do. Mm. So, the weapons they used. <laughs> what happened to them? Yeah, so I, I, if I remember well, two boxes has been found next to the uh, barn, next to the Waldbillig farm, mm. and uh, I, I, I got a very small tip. <laughs> I, I told you about that. So somebody whispered in my ears a quite interesting story. Uh, I'm not sure it is completely true, but I think it's uh, probably more than probably. Okay, let's hear it. It seems that another cache of weapons is still buried somewhere in the woods. Oh, wow! Today, really? So that's apparently. I have to check it and. I'm certainly going on place uh, to verify this information. <laughs> and uh, if I'm lucky, I will probably find this buried box full of weapons from the World Billy Gang, one of the last mysteries about this amazing criminal case. But I'm So somewhere in Luxembourg yeah. is a case buried with... <laughs> and I know where. You know where, yeah. which you're obviously not going to share with no. us. Okay, <laughs> well... That's this I, I will make a report. If, uh, if I will find it, I make a story about it in January, so... Like when you discover these, you obviously cannot take them with you. No, 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 for you sure. You have to call a, the police yeah, and, I, I, and hand them in. No, for sure, yeah. I'm not going to bring them to RTL to put them on table. Oh, look what I'm having. <laughs> oh, no, I'm yes. just when my, my, I have a script around all of this uh, yeah. discovery of this uh, this this, this uh, case and, and mm -hmm. not case of this um, box of weapons. So mm -hmm. I, I'm preparing quite well because um, I cannot just go there and take the weapons and go away. One last question. Mm -hmm. What are the 
the band, the gang members doing today? Do you th do you think they yeah. are they still alive? Carlo Fett obviously yeah, has yeah, passed away. I have contact with them. See, some of them. So uh, uh, Carlo Fett was that died in prison. I think it was in uh, 2004 five. Mm -hmm. uh, Hertha, he died uh, one year after the interviews in 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. He was quite sick. Also, uh, he's live in prison. Then he went out from prison. Two years later, he died. Mm -hmm. You have Reistov, Nico Reistov. Uh, he is just uh, trying to. He, he he wrote a book in prison, two books even. So about the story of the Valbing Billy Gang, his opinion, he's innocent. That was the nuns who made him criminal. All these kind of stories. It's yeah, his opinion. Mm -hmm. And he was trying still to sell his books, <laughs> which he wrote 20 years ago. Right. And Jos Bernardi, he's more discreet. Uh, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's out, but I think uh, this guy is quite. Um, he's really quiet, and I, for this guy, I could put my hands in the fire, not for all the other. Yeah, incognito yeah, at yeah. the moment, but not criminal anymore. Yeah, living a peaceful life. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting, Dan, to hear your stories. Thank you, Thank you very much for coming in Thank and. You. You know, in a few years' time, it will have been nearly 40 years or, you know, 35 yeah. now, between 35 to 40 years Crazy since the now. attacks. And like Dan said, if you would like to see the full TV episode of this case, it is in Luxembourgish. You can find it under DNA on RTL Play. I watched it, of course, in preparation of the podcast. I think it's fascinating because you interviewed... You interviewed the criminals. You have a lot of video footage, archive mm. footage from yeah. RTL... Um, you go back to some of these locations where yeah. where chases happened and mm. you speak to the people involved. I think it's really fascinating. Um, thanks, Dan. Thank you. We'll be back next week with the final episode of the season. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm -hmm.